0: Well, hey everybody, welcome back to The Being Challenge, this 40-day journey that we are taking together as a church in which we're spending time with Jesus in order to become more like Jesus. And specifically, what we're looking at is we're looking at some of Jesus' habits, those things that he did on a daily basis and asking ourselves the question, what would our lives look like if we were to do likewise, if we were to practice the very same things that Jesus practiced? And uh, this weekend, specifically, we're looking at the second of five habits, and that is the habit of studying Scripture. If you ask most biblical scholars, they'll tell you that about 10% of the things that Jesus said were direct quotes from the Old Testament. Think about that. 10% of the words out of his mouth were direct quotes from Scripture. And there's no denying that Jesus was a close student of the Bible. In fact, there's even a story early on in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus as a child gets lost in Jerusalem, and when his parents finally find him, they find him in the temple, debating the religious leaders and talking about the scriptures. And so, if this was that important to Jesus, it ought to be that important for us who are called by his name, who claim to be his followers. And yet, if you look at the Bible today, what you find is that there's a lot of confusion about the Bible. On the one hand, the Bible is incredibly influential. If you consult the Guinness Book of World Records, what you'll find is that it's estimated that over five billion copies of the Bible have been sold uh, down through the decades. Think about that. Five billion copies of this book. It is the best-selling book of all time. Furthermore, what they'll tell you is that there are about 349 languages uh, that have the Bible translated in its entirety. Likewise, there's another 2,123 languages that have at least one book of the Bible in that language. This is a book that has spanned cultures, that has shaped the arts and and, uh, other forms of literature and drama and so on and so forth. It's incredibly influential. And yet, Many people's attitudes about the Bible, especially here in America, uh, often reveal uh, at best the kind of ambivalence and at worst a, a sort of hostility. I remember in 2018, I I came across an article, and the article was entitled uh, 21 Books That You Don't Have to Read. It was 21 books that many people would say are great works of literature, and yet the editors of this particular magazine uh, said you really don't have to read them. They're not as good as everyone claims. In fact, one of the editors, a person by the name of Jesse Ball, said this about number 12, which was the Bible. Jesse writes, The Holy Bible is rated very highly by all the people who supposedly live by it, but who in actuality haven't read it. Those who have read it know that there are some good parts, but overall it's certainly not the finest thing that man has ever produced. It's repetitive, self-contradictory, stententious, foolish, and even at times ill-intentioned. Now, it's worth noting uh, that this article is found in GQ magazine, not exactly a periodical known for being the best in terms of analyzing literature. And yet, one of the things that I can't help but realize as I think about that quote is that in some ways, Jesse's right. There seems to be a lot of confusion out there about exactly what the Bible is. Is it a great work of literature? Is it supposed to be? Is it a manual for life? And if so, then why is it that so many people's lives don't really seem to be remodeled after many of its teachings? There's a lot of confusion out there today. And I'll be honest, that, that same kind of posture of hostility toward the Bible is one that I used to have. Uh, As a young person, uh, I really wasn't a student of the Bible. We didn't go to church regularly as a family. And I remember getting into high school and having a lot of religious friends, people who called themselves Christians, and we would often debate. We'd debate about topics like God and and faith. and, And I loved pointing to the few parts of the Bible that I had a little bit of familiarity with and just trying to highlight some of the ways in which it seemed contradictory or hard to put into practice or didn't really make sense. The reason why is because, although I kind of had some familiarity with the Bible, the truth is, is I I really didn't know what it was. I mean, think about this for a second. In the Bible, what we find is actually a collection of books, a collection of books that was written over the course of almost 1500 years. And and as I studied the Bible and thought about the Bible a little bit, I realized that most of my assumptions about it uh, weren't quite accurate. You see, I thought that the Bible was a religious book. And so I, I kind of came at it and I said, well, if it's a religious book, then I then I should find things like laws and rules. And certainly there were law books and rule books, but then I would come across things like the Proverbs, which are just really a list of wise sayings. And so then it's like, okay, so maybe it's it's more like a collection of, of, uh, of Proverbs and, and wisdom sayings that we're supposed to put into practice in our lives. And then I come across another book like the Psalms, which is all poetry. And it's like, okay, well, maybe this is something that's just meant to be be good literature and beauty. And then I encounter other books that are more like narratives. And so then I start to ask the question, okay, so maybe this is stories of religious heroes, people that we're supposed to model our lives after. But then you actually read those narratives and you find that those people are actually kind of messed up. Uh, they weren't perfect. They're constantly making mistakes and doing things that sometimes are even morally reprehensible. And, and I just walked away from the Bible being so confused. So confused as to what this is. Uh, Every assumption that I had about what a religious book should be uh, flew out the window the moment I started paging through the Bible. Until I started to realize that actually the Bible isn't a religious book at all. It's something much more. You see, when I was a junior uh, in in high school, I really started to take my spiritual journey seriously. I wanted to know, uh, number one, if there was a God, and if so, what it meant to follow Him. And uh, at that time, there was an adult in my life that I kind of looked to as a mentor, and she encouraged me to give the Bible another shot. Uh, First and foremost, she did one of the best things that you could do. She recommended a a contemporary translation. You see, up to that point, all I knew about the Bible was the King James Version, filled with all these these and thous and thys. And and I didn't speak Shakespeare, so that really turned me off. She said, no, get get kind of a modern translation, one that's been translated well in today's language, and, and try to read it. It'll be a bit more understandable. And so, that Christmas, I asked for my first Bible. And then my parents got me one, and I remember sitting down on Christmas Day and I started to page through it. Um, and, and I kept paging through it. Every night I would sit down and I'd read for one, two, three hours. And something started to dawn on me as I moved through these 66 books, as I moved through uh, this text. I started to realize that it's not a religious book at all. I mean, if I was looking to it to find examples of people to follow, there, there weren't many good examples. And yet, over and over again, from the Old Testament right up to the New Testament, what I saw was that actually it was a story of a bunch of screw-ups and losers. People who weren't perfect. People who constantly fell short of the mark. And yet, the one constant in this entire book, written over 1,500 years, is that there was this God who never gave up on them. A God who loved them and pursued them. A God who, in spite of their failings and their mistakes, continued to call them to trust in him, protected them, provided for them, forgave them, and ultimately helped them to see that he had a far grander purpose than their small plans could possibly uh, give them. And finally, I got to the New Testament, and suddenly I encountered the one person in the entire book who wasn't a loser or a screw-up. That was Jesus. Jesus. He was a man who's filled with compassion, who always did the right thing. And yet what I loved and what was so attractive to me about Jesus was the fact that he still hung out with losers and screw-ups. He still loved them, still provided for them, forgave them, and showed them that their lives had a greater purpose than anything that they could have settled for on their own. I suddenly realized Jesus was God, He was the God who'd been pursuing these losers and screw-ups throughout the Old Testament and who had now come to dwell with them, ultimately to lay down his life for them, that they might have a new relationship with him. And that's when it suddenly dawned on me what the Bible is. The Bible's not a religious book. It's not a manual for life. It's not even supposed to be a great work of literature. What it is, is it's a letter. It's a letter to us from the God who loves us. A letter in which he reveals his heart and his character to us, shows us what kind of relationship he desires to have with us, and points us to our ultimate purpose as his people. That's really what it is. That's what it was always intended to be. And suddenly I started reading through the different parts of the Bible totally differently. That when I read through the law codes, I, I realized these aren't some sort of outdated list of to-dos, and to-do, and, and, of to-dos or don'ts. I realized that these are laws that reveal the heart of a God who cares about justice, who has a, a heart for the poor and the marginalized and the overlooked. When I read through the Proverbs, what I realized is that these are words from the creator of the universe to his people that we might live well in this world and think wisely about the challenges that we encounter in it. I read through the Psalms and what I realized is that these are words from a God who is a God of deep emotion and beautiful artistry. I'd read through the prophets and realize that these are words of warning from God to us about the dangers that come when we go our own way and turn our backs on Him and His love and His mercy. Ultimately, I came to see that it was a story that pointed us to the God who came into the universe to rescue us, who became one of us in order to show us His heart on display in full color. In fact, this is something that Jesus tells us about himself over and over and over again. Let me just show you one area of scripture that highlights this. It's actually uh, Luke chapter 24. So, at the very end of Luke's account of Jesus' life. And it happens uh, after Jesus' crucifixion and ultimately his resurrection. In Luke chapter 24, we find that Jesus' tomb is empty. And then Jesus appears to his disciples and starts to speak with them. And what's so fascinating is that four times in this one chapter, Jesus uh, tells his people that all of the scriptures were meant to point us to him. In fact, if I'm going to be particularly accurate, it's once said to them by an angel and then three times by Jesus himself. I mean, just listen to this for a moment. When some of Jesus' disciples go to the empty tomb, they find an angel standing there, and and the angel says this, he says, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. Then later on, as two of his disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus, he appears to them and and asks them why they're so downcast, and they say, well, we've been following this teacher, Jesus. We thought he was the savior of the world, and and now he's dead. And then Jesus himself says the following, I I love this, he says, how foolish you are and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And then later on, when Jesus appears to his disciples while they're in hiding and and, and explains to them all that happened, this is what he tells them. He says, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he goes on and says that he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures and told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Once by an angel, three times by Jesus himself, he says, This is the reason that you have the scriptures. It's not so that you have a nice, pretty book of literature or a neat set of of rules to put into practice. No, these are letters from me to you so that you might know me when I come. So that you might recognize me as the God who is full of grace and truth, mercy and love. The Bible is intended to help us encounter God as he is. To see Jesus for who he truly is. That we might trust in him and learn to follow him. That's what it is a collection of letters to us. It, It reveals to us who our God is, why he came to rescue us, and what it ultimately means to follow him. That's the beauty of studying scripture. If you want to get to know God better, you've got to be in his word, because it's there that he actually speaks to us. They're not just words on a page. These are God's words to us, his voice speaking to us even now today. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, man, we just wish that I could hear from God, that I could know who he was, what he's like, what his plans for my life are. And the reality is, is you can. You have access to it right now. You have access to the Bible in your own language. You have an opportunity to hear God's voice once more speaking to you. The Bible is this beautiful gift that reveals who our God is to us. And what's so amazing is that it doesn't just stop there. You see, in the Bible, not only does God reveal who he is to us, but then he reveals to us who we are. What I love is in that very same chapter from Luke 24, Jesus then goes on and says this to his disciples. He says, you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And then it says, And when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. See, Jesus tells them then what their purpose is. They are to be his witnesses. They are to share about the relationship that they have with God to others who desperately need to know him. See, the Bible reveals God's purpose for us that we are to proclaim this good news to those around us. But you can only proclaim the good news if you've heard the good news yourself, if you've heard the kind of love that God has for you, if you've seen Jesus in action, laying down his life for us, serving us. That's the beautiful picture that we get of him as we study the scriptures together. And his intention is not only that we would know that we can trust him, but that we would share that good news with everyone around us. We are in a world that is desperate for good news. We don't need more self-help manuals. We don't need any more pieces of literature or books on philosophy. We don't need pithy sayings that you can slap on a bumper sticker. What we need is a relationship with the God who made us, the God who loves us, the God who entered into this world to rescue us and to make us his own. That's what we long for. We need to know that God is still a God of justice, a God of healing, a God of mercy, forgiveness, hope, and new life. We look around at the world around us and we see all the brokenness and the question is, is there anyone who can fix it? The answer that the Bible gives is yes, Jesus can, he does, and he will. But the only way we know that is by going to his word again, hearing his voice speaking to us through it. That we might not only know that our God is a God we can trust in, but a God we can follow. That we might know why he made us, why we're here and what it means to share that good news with others. Maybe you've been turned off by the Bible because you've seen some misapplications of it. Maybe you've just been befuddled because you haven't known what to make of of it because of all the various literary genres that we find in this book. But the one thing you can know is that in all of it, it tells one story. The story of the God who made us, who loves us, who came to rescue us, who died for us and who rose again, that we might have hope and be sent out with that good news. That's the arc of the entire scriptures. It's all meant to point us to Jesus, and his invitation to you is to take it up and read it, that you might come to know him and follow him with everything that you have, and through you to share that good news with those around you. And so it's to that end that my encouragement to you this week is to pick it up and read it, Study the scriptures with Jesus. Study the scriptures with us. And through it, see the heart of God for you and for the world. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks that you are not a mysterious God who hides but that you're a God who reveals yourself to us. You desire that we would know you, that we'd know your character, your heart, and that we would come to trust you and follow you. That actually you you desired so much a relationship with us that you became one of us through Christ. And that in Jesus, we can know who you are and what it means to follow you. And so Lord, this week we pray that as we open your word, you would help us to read it with new eyes, to encounter you afresh, that we might follow you and share good news with everyone around us. That's our prayer. That's our hope. That's our desire. And we pray that as we do that, we would learn what it truly means to look, live, and love more like you. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.